0: I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm Dave, Uh, excited to have the privilege of teaching this morning. If you're new, let me just extend my hand of welcome. Also, you can come up and say hi, I'd love to meet you, and so glad to have you here. Uh, Like Andrew said, you know, God's doing amazing things in our community, and I just love every time we get to see new life and new people um, finding, hopefully, the hospitality of Sedaris and the hospitality of God through Sedaris, so welcome, glad that you're here. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you grab it and turn to John chapter 11? If you don't, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you that looks like this, and if you do grab one of those Bibles underneath the seat, uh, we're going to be on page 953. 953, and you can go ahead and turn there as I just sort of set up this passage before we read. We're in our series in the Gospel of John. John is one of four Gospels written by eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so they've written for us things that we need to know. And John is the last of these to write, probably writing two decades after the first three Gospels were complete. And so he sort of fills in the gaps for us. And you could imagine somebody asking John, what exactly do you believe, John? And he writes his gospel to clear up any confusion or misunderstandings, and so we're going to read a story today that you don't find in any of the other three gospels, and and you're going to hear it, and you're going to be like, why wouldn't the other three gospels speak about this amazing thing? And and spoiler alert, Jesus is going to raise somebody who has died four days earlier, and so why wouldn't the other gospel writers put in this story? Well, they don't put this particular story, the raising of Lazarus, but they do put other resurrection stories where jesus raises those who have died and so um, for some reason they leave this one for john and god is ultimately uh, the final say and editor as he inspires all four gospel writers and so john is going to give us this most amazing and final miracle that jesus does the seventh sign in his gospel he has seven signs where jesus is proclaiming that he is in fact god in the flesh and he has power over death and we're going to see all that today and and so it in that sense makes sense that John is the one that has the privilege of writing this story about raising, as we'll see, his good friend, Lazarus, from the dead. And what it's going to tell us today is the peculiar way in which God loves us. So actually, today is about love, and we'll see how it's, hard maybe to understand why God loves in this particular way. So you found the right place if you are struggling in any way, which is probably all of us, right? If you're struggling and struggling to know why God, if he loves you, allows you to struggle, allows you to suffer, allows death into your life, into your family, into your friend group. Why does he allow these sorts of things? Today's a sermon for you. So let me pray before I read and ask God to open our eyes to this wonderful text. Father God, we thank you for this space and these people and your word, that you've given us all these things that we might see, that you are who you say you are, that you are a God who is love and does love and will love, and that through your word we see the way you love. And so God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open all of us. To the thing you've prepared for us this morning. You are revealing something to us. You haven't called us here on accident. You haven't given us this story on accident. It's all a part of a plan that you have for our satisfaction. God, satisfy us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, are you ready to read? Here we go. John 11... Starting in verse 1. Now, it appears to be now maybe a couple months, perhaps after what we talked about last week, where Jesus is again almost stoned by the religious and cultural elites of Jerusalem because they are growing weary of his growing following and want to put an end to his influence. And so they try to stone him and he sneaks Away It says he eludes their grasp, and as he departed and he went across the Jordan to the place where John the baptizer at the beginning of the gospel, remember we talked about John the baptizer, his cousin, uh, he goes back to that place, and many there who had remained there get to reconnect with him, and they believe, and, and yet some still struggled, and, and, and so finally we come to this final sign of Jesus' revelation of himself, and it starts here, eleven one. Now a man was sick. Now a man was sick. Who is this man? And often Jesus has done miracles and healed people uh, who are not closely connected to him, not his friends. It's, it, it, it's always strangers at first, and then strangers become friends. But here we have a man who was sick, and this man's name was Lazarus. And he's from the town of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Martha. So Mary and Martha, you've probably heard of them, perhaps. Now Mary, John tells us, was the one who anointed the Lord, that's anointed Jesus, with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, now, you're like, okay, when did we talk about that? Do you remember talking about that? No, 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 we haven't talked about that yet. So, what do you mean, what is John doing? He's he's telling us about this Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume he probably realizes that Mary, this story of Mary doing this was a common story that everybody already knew because, again, John's writing to a community of Christians who would have heard this story. But he pulls it into this part. So he's actually going to tell this story but in chapter 12. But he pulls that story or that collective memory, he pulls it here for a very specific reading, reason. I'll get to it in a second. But, you know, just how interesting is that, that he hasn't told that part of the story, but he's referencing it must be really important that we know who this Mary was, or we remember who she was. Okay, so, Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters, good sisters, sent a message to Jesus, and the message went like this. So they sent messengers out, and the messengers went, and they came to Jesus. So Jesus, we'll find out later, was, you know, probably a day's walk away. Um, not super far, but it would have taken him a little bit to get there. And they send the messengers, and the messengers tell Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Underline love. The one you love is sick. So now we know Lazarus is not just some guy that he is an acquaintance to, but this is the beloved, your beloved friend Lazarus, who's the brother of your beloved friends, Mary and Martha. So these are close, close friends. And Jesus loved Lazarus. Verse 4, When Jesus heard this, he said, quote, The sickness will not end, or this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus Loved, underline loved, Martha, her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus loved them all. And and here we're talking not just how God loves the whole world, but like friendship love. So, verse 6, so, when they heard that he was sick, or when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was that should shock you he stayed two more days in the place he was come back to that in just a sec let me finish the story because you might not know the story I'm going to read the whole story now fast but we're going to focus on those first few verses he stayed he didn't immediately go then after that Jesus said to the disciples Let's go to Judea again. After the two days, he says, okay, let's go to Judea. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going to go there again? It's dangerous, they're saying. Don't go back because Bethany was super close to Jerusalem. So don't go back there. They may arrest you. It's too dangerous. Jesus says, verse 9, aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. They thought Jesus was saying, he's sleeping, he's resting, and rest is good for getting well. So again, they're saying, don't go, it's too dangerous. Jesus says, no, no, you misunderstood me. Verse 13. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, brothers, friends, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's now go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's go too so that we may die with him. That's funny. I don't even know what's going on. I'm not going to talk about that. Just that's Thomas. Thomas has a lot of good one-liners. Okay. Okay. So verse 17. When Jesus arrived, now he's gone to Bethany, the place that's dangerous, the place that now he's so close that the, the, the Jewish elites could have heard that he was there and come in and arrest him. He, he goes there. And Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. So many people had come as part of the grieving process, part of the funeral process. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, so Martha goes out and meets him on the road a little ways off. And says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? If you'd just been here, I believe in you. I know you. I know you have the power of God because you are the Son of God. You could have saved him. I know this. And then she says something beautiful. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Her confusion, her lack of understanding as to why Jesus didn't come quicker doesn't keep her from trusting him. Jesus says to her, verse 23, Martha, your brother will rise again. Now at this point, Martha doesn't know. Is he talking about the resurrection at the end of time, which Jesus had taught so often and were taught in in the Old Testament scriptures? She doesn't know yet. So Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So again, Jesus doesn't tell her what he's about to go do. He just starts teaching good truth. That anyone that believes in Jesus, because he is the resurrection, and, and yet, you've got to remember, they've never seen him rise from the dead, Jesus. But he says, I am the resurrection. I am life. And anyone who believes in me will live. That's just true. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you've come into the world. Verse 28. Having said this, She went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, Hey Mary, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, so he's still sort of hanging outside the village, probably because he wants to have a private conversation with his friend Mary, whom he loves. She comes out to him. As soon as Mary... Sorry, verse 31, the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is a cry, this is a lament, this is a complaint in faith. Jesus is fine with this because he knows it's actually true. But she's bowed before him. She's trusting him. She hasn't given up on him, even though for some reason Jesus didn't show up to take away their pain, to, to give life and health back to their beloved brother. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying, And the Jews who had come with her crying. He was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. We're going to come back to this. Deeply moved in his spirit. That word is so interesting. Where have you put him? Jesus asked. Lord, they told him. Or sorry, Lord, they told him. Come and see. And then it says Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible perhaps the most profound. Jesus wept. He wept with them. The Lord weeps with those who weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes have kept this man from dying? Great question. That's the question we're wrestling with today. That's the question we all wrestle with. If God's so powerful, if Jesus is so powerful, if he can heal a man born blind, why couldn't he heal his own friend, the one he loved? Some of his closest friends have lost a brother. Why? Why didn't God act? It's a good question. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told Jesus, Lord, there's already a stench, because he has been dead four days. Martha, she believes, but she can't believe. Right? This This is us. Like, she believes he can do some things, but he's not sure he can do other things. So what exactly do you believe about Jesus? Martha's in process, just like we're in process. And John's giving us a very clear picture of you don't believe enough in the power of your Savior Jesus. So, Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I mean, just back on the road over there, didn't I tell you? Now, he's not mad. He's just saying, Martha, I'm asking you to do something. (laughs) Roll the stone. I know it smells. Just roll it away. I told you if you believe, you'd see the glory of God. And she listens, see? So this is good. Martha's doing what it means to follow Jesus, which is he's going to say some stuff that you're like, I believe that, but I don't know if I can believe this. So she does it, though. That's faith. Faith is moving forward, and you can't quite see yet. Verse 41, so she told whoever she had to tell to move the stone, so they removed the stone. They rolled it away. Then Jesus raised his eyes to heaven, said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because this crowd standing here, because of this crowd standing here, because I want them to know that me and you have this relationship, I say this out loud. (laughs) That's basically what he's doing. He's praying out loud, not because he needs to, but because he wants them to know this is how it works. I'm doing this so that they may believe you sent me. Verse 43. After he said this, after he prayed out loud to God, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come on out. The dead man. The once dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen. He had these strips. That's how they would embalm the body. These strips of linen just hanging from him with his face still wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. He even has power over death. What exactly do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe he has power over death? John says, I believe that. I watched him do it. Now, we're going to focus on the first few verses here, but I want to I just say a couple things. Ryan's actually going to come and preach a second sermon on this miracle because there's so much here. And, and what, if we had kept reading to the end of the chapter, what you'd see is that the Pharisees heard that he'd raised somebody from the dead, and they say, okay, now we got to go. And it speeds up their timeline because he's like too ma- they're like, too many people are going to... F- when they hear about this, and so, so we're going right into the arrest and the, f- the trial and the crucifixion and, and all that. That's coming right after this. And so Jesus will actually speed up the process to his own death. And you'll re- you can read how that happens as we go from here. But I want to pause, and I want to I say this. Somebody in my cohort said a super profound thing when we were reading through this this week. They said, like, isn't resurrection kind of Jesus' thing? Like, meaning, like, he's the one who rises from the dead? And it's the right question to ask. It's totally the right question to ask. Because it does seem, well, if Lazarus did it, then does that mean Jesus' resurrection is, you know, not quite as spectacular? And the answer is, No. And and here's why. Um, Jesus has brought other people back from the dead. In the other Gospels, you can read about those. But what Jesus is bringing them back to is this life. Okay? This life. And when Jesus rises from his own death, what he's rising to is the next life. And the next life is not this ethereal, bodiless existence. The next life, the life to come, the new heavens and the new earth are an embodied physical existence. So Lazarus, poor guy, has to die once, come back to life, and then he's going to die again. And then at the last days, like Martha was asking, he will rise to the other kind of resurrection, which is Jesus' kind of resurrection, which is this new kind of life, the heavenly life. And so one way you might say it is Jesus' resurrection is capital R resurrection. Lazarus experiences a lowercase r resurrection. Which is equated to, and we talk about this a lot at Sideris, because the word consider, from which we get the name of our church, Sideris, comes from these two Latin roots, "calm," which means with, and Sideris, which means heavenly body. So R, from the beginning, from the jump, from the time I lost my sister to death, from the time I cried out to God, where are you? I thought you loved me. Why would you let this happen? God said, Dave, ask Kim's friends to consider me, not me, but Jesus, with heavenly body. Yeah, if you consider Jesus with your earthly body, it won't ever line up for you. But if you realize that what Jesus has come to do is to give life to your heavenly body, which again is not this spiritual, ethereal thing, but a physical, tangible, new, resurrected body that is not prone to decay, disease, or aging, but this new kind of body that's a bit like this body but different, the kind of body Jesus was raised to, then it might start to not seem so strange. So there's two kinds of resurrections. Lazarus experienced resurrection. Just Jesus wants to prove that he is the resurrection, that he has power over life and death. That he doesn't have just like this one, like he can do a lot of things, he can heal the blind, but you know, death is just that thing that always wins. No, not with Jesus. He is the victor of all things. He has conquered them all, even death. And he proves it with Lazarus' resurrection. But then what his resurrection symbolizes, he is the first fruit, scriptures tell us, of this new kind of resurrection to a new kind of life that is physical, but it's this other kind of body, this heavenly body. So that's what we're all about. Help people consider life now with their heavenly body. So when you ask the question, where are you, God? Why didn't you show up? Your timing sucks. Why? You have to ask that question with your heavenly body in mind, not just your earthly body, because if you ask it with the earthly body, yeah, it makes sense that you wouldn't want anything to do with this Jesus. And here's why. Read it again, back to verses 1 to 6. There was a man who was sick, and not just any man, Lazarus from Bethany. You've heard of this Lazarus. You know whose sisters are? Mary and Martha. And all three of these siblings were close friends of Jesus. How close were they? You remember that story about the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair? That's Mary. This is the family. So John John brings that story forward because he needs them to know that these aren't just acquaintances of Jesus. These aren't just people on the periphery. These are people who have such deep affection and knowledge and belief in Jesus that Mary will waste all of her money, we'll see, when we get to chapter 12. And Judas Iscariot doesn't like that, by the way. And pours out this expensive perfume and uses her own hair to wipe Jesus' feast. You think that's love? Do you think that's deep, deep friendship in God? Yes, these are the closest of friends. And two other times, and then three later in the past... These are people who Jesus loved. He loved them. And John goes above and beyond to help us see that, right? I had you circle. The Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. Not just some guy in a neighboring village. Jesus has done that too. He'll pour out his love and power on those people. But this is different. This is somebody that you love, that you know, that you've stayed with, that you've broken bread with. Whose sisters love you dearly. And then he says it again. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. There's so much love. But Jesus says, listen, this sickness, it's not going to end in death but in my glory. So we've got love and we've got glory and we've got death all wrapped up in here. And the most startling thing that you may have missed in this passage is the word so. You see the word so? Verse six. Circle so. That is the Greek word therefore. Now I prefer the translations that translate it therefore because therefore is a longer word than so. (laughs) And because so is short, you might just skim over it. It's a very important theological word. And often when you see the word so or therefore in scripture, you should pay attention because the author is telling you now how important everything they've said before is and how it's connected to everything that comes next. So this might be the most startling therefore that you've ever experienced in Scripture. It might be the thing that keeps you from trusting God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This therefore, right here. Read it again, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved... Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Well, you already told us that. Yeah, I need to tell you again because I'm about to put a therefore. He loved them. All three of them. And all three of them are going to suffer in ways that break Jesus' heart to the point where he weeps. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus so much that therefore... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, what does he do? He doesn't run. He stays two more days in the place where he was. What? John, you've just got done telling me how much he loves these people. You've pointed it out, you've highlighted it, you've screamed it from the rooftop, and then you said, therefore, he stayed. That doesn't make any sense. Said it a couple weeks ago. The glory of God doesn't make sense, at least perfect sense. It's way better than that. He loved them so much that he didn't intervene. What? Now, because we've read the rest of the story, we know that he ultimately will reveal his glory, the depths of his glory, the depths of his power, the depths of his love by raising Lazarus back to life. But they don't know that now. All they know is that Jesus loved them so much that he didn't heal his friend. This should be so confusing. And it is. It's confusing then and it's confusing now. And if you preach this out in the world, they'll say, see, I knew he wasn't good. I knew he didn't love I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. Man, and I was on the edge when my sister died of running away from that God. And by his grace, he reached down and he grabbed me by the collar and he said, don't go anywhere, Dave. You need to think about this with heavenly body. Think about heaven, Dave. I know it's not going to make sense why I didn't intervene here, why I allowed this to happen to your sister, But trust me, Dave. You need to consider this in a different way than you consider everything else. And I said, okay. And I gave him a chance. And he has proved to me. And he's given me peace, which we'll see in a second. is so important. And a type of understanding. Not full understanding, but a type of understanding to be satisfied in the God who doesn't run but stays two more days and lets his good, good friend die what probably was a painful death, and these two sisters to suffer the loss of their brother and to have to wrap their dead brother's body up in linens and put him in a cave and roll over a stone to the point where it smells so bad that they don't even want to open it up. And you say, how can this be love? Give me a couple minutes, I'm gonna explain three ways why we can know this is in fact love. Let me get some water. <laughs> Are you on the edge of your seat? This should be confusing to you. Number one, this might be the hardest for some of you to hear, but it is love, yes, because God tells us it is love. We don't get to define love. Love gets to define love. And John will say elsewhere, God is love. And, and, and the whole point there is that when like the first step often to following this God is to remember that he's the one that defines everything, not us as human beings. And that's often the biggest hurdle, and most of us don't like it, and so we turn around. said so I, I like to keep the definitions here. I'd like to be the one that decides what is and is not love. But the first thing we need to know is God tells us this is love over and over again through the inspired writing of John, through the words of Jesus. This is love, guys. So you just need to start there, and then I'll give you a little bit more information, okay? God defines everything, including what love is, and he says this is love. So we start there. That's number one. Number two, yes, it's love. Because love is not non suffering. In fact, non suffering does not equal human satisfaction. God does want us to experience deep, deep satisfaction and enjoyment of life. What, again, again in John, it's right. He came to give us life and life eternal. So that's satisfaction and enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy his glory. But that's not the same as non-suffering. So you've got to get that through your head first because God does not define love as the lack of suffering because the lack of suffering does not equal human satisfaction. So then what is human satisfaction as God defines it? Well, he gives us two clues here in the text. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 goes like this. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said to his disciples, This sickness, hey, it will not end in death. But it is for the glory of God. So God the Father's glory is super important. So that the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of God may be glorified through it. So John's telling us that the most important thing to God is His own glory, but not just because his own glory is for his own glory, but his own glory leads to our human satisfaction, human satisfaction. And he's going to say that we are most satisfied when we apprehend or we see God as he is, which is God's glory. When we see everything that God is, including the God that can raise the dead, when we see God for who he is, it leads to our human satisfaction. And so God's glory is not selfish, but it is ultimately giving. He wants us to experience the satisfaction that comes from seeing and apprehending his glory, the glory of God, God for who he actually is, all of it, not just part of it. And so he will give us these moments, these windows into his glory sometimes through suffering, or maybe most profoundly through suffering, because human satisfaction is not the same as non-suffering. They're different. So one place we can go, turn with me in your Bible, just a few pages, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. That's page 960 if you're in the same Bible as me, but it's just going to be Three or four or five pages over, depending on what Bible you're looking at. John 17. So this is right before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, and he gives what's called the, high, the great high priestly prayer, where in front of his disciples he prays to God for what he ultimately wants. So it's a great place to go to interpret the rest of John, because this is, this is what Jesus prayed right before he gave his life. So at the end of this, uh, Jesus says this. So in verse 24... 25. I'm going to read that. It's going to be on the screen, too, if you, don't, if you didn't find it. He, he says this. He's praying to God the Father. He says, Father, I want those you have given me, my sheep, and we're talking about the sheep, to be with me where I am. I want them to be with me where I am. That's the heart of God. So that, why? Why well, is it good to be near the shepherd, near God himself? So that they will see my glory, There's something about being near to God that's the best thing for us because we apprehend, we see His glory. The glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And he goes on, Righteous Father, the world has not known you, however I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. This is the ultimate plan of God, that through apprehending and seeing Jesus and seeing God through Jesus, to see what kind of love God really is, that we might apprehend it in such a way that we might know him and that he might live in us and his love might live in us and that we might live out that love to others that's heaven friends but you have to apprehend it and sometimes it's hard to see and so Jesus says he loved them so much that he didn't go because he said i need to show them something they don't see clearly now my glory And so I have to let one of my very best friends die and suffer, and Mary and Martha suffer the loss of their brother so that they might see me and they might know you and that they might have that love in themselves. That's the only way. Through suffering. Profound suffering, even of his best friends. Now, turn back to verse 13. So it's seeing and apprehending, and then there's another thing. It's not just seeing, but it's also believing. Believing that God, that this God is for us and loves us. We must believe that. So Mary and Martha, even though they go through suffering, they believe that God loves them, that Jesus loves them. And this is hard to believe sometimes. And so look with me at verse 13 and 14. 13 and 14. So this is, he still hasn't come yet to Mary and Martha and to the tomb, but he's just talking to his disciples And it says, Jesus, because they misunderstand what he's saying when he says he's fallen asleep, he's actually died. He says to them, however, he was speaking about death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So, Jesus then told them plainly. Therefore, Jesus told them plainly, I need you to know, I know, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you. What? (laughs) What a strange thing to say. I'm glad for you. That, Jesus, or that Lazarus dies died. This is not in my notes. It just came to me right now. Can I say it? It's hard to say. It's so hard to say. Jesus, if you were standing here, would say, I'm glad for you that Kim died. My sister. <clears throat> so hard to believe this. I know it's true, he would stand here and he would say, I'm glad for you, you, that Kim died. I think Kim would say, I'm glad for you that I died. Why? So that, look at the text, so that you may believe. God, everything God does and is doing and allows to happen, he allows to happen so that you may see who he is, so that you may believe in your heart that he loves you more than you could ever, ever comprehend. You know who's not here? Mary, Martha. And he says, I allowed Lazarus to die so that you may believe. See, see, we just don't have a category for that. Because I don't think if God asked me, I would have let Kim die. So he didn't ask me. But he told me to do something else after that. And now I do see, at least in part, why he didn't run to her rescue. I'm not saying, see, God didn't kill my sister, but he allowed her to die, and he did something after she died, so that others may believe. Turn back with me to John uh, chapter 17. At the very beginning of his prayer now, we're gonna, we looked at the end, now we're going to look at the beginning. Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven and he said, "Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all flesh, so that He may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth," this is Jesus saying to the Father. By completing the work you gave me to do, now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory that I had with you before the, before the world existed, before the foundation of the world. So again, and this is Jesus right before he gives his life and absorbs our penalty for sin. He says, I do all of this so that they might know you as I know you, so glorify your son. Lift him up on the cross, he's saying. I'm okay with it so that they may know you and have eternal life. That is eternal life, to know God. That is heaven, to know God, to be in the presence of knowing God, to be knowing him eternally. That is eternal life. But you must see him first, so that you may believe that he is this God who has power over all things, even death. And he will allow even his best of friends, even those who he loves dearly, to suffer and even die so that others may come to know this glory. That's a type of love that I don't think many of us have gotten to. But it is the definition of love. Jesus says it this way. He said, some of you would even, some of you love so much that you'd lay your life down for your friends. He says, but that's not quite full love. He says, true love is to lay your life down for your enemies. And friends, we were all, at one point, enemies of God. and He laid his life down for you. If you're still uh, with me on chapter 17, just let your eyes go up to the last few verses of chapter 16, right above where I just read. Chapter sixteen, thirty-three. So, right, he's talking to his disciples. Right before he goes into his prayer, this is what he says to them. I think it makes it very clear. The second point, that love does not equal non-suffering and human satisfaction does not equal non-suffering, but human satisfaction equals knowing God. Okay, he says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Well, we like that. So that in me you may have peace peace. I like that. And then he says this, you will have suffering in this world, so be courageous. I have conquered the world. (laughs) Okay? You see how he just breaks apart peace from suffering? They're not the same thing, he says. They're different. And don't worry, I have conquered the world. I have conquered suffering and death. But you just got to wait with me. You just got to suffer through some stuff with me. And then you'll see the, the other side. Okay. So that's the second reason why I do think this is true love. The third thing is related. Look at verse 4 back in chapter 11. Flip back to chapter 11. Look at verse 4. Jesus says this really interesting phrase. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he said this. This sickness, this particular sickness... Will not end in death. Will not end in death. And that is ultimately the reason that we can know Jesus, God's view of things is so different than ours. He truly has a new watch. Said principal, come to the class. A new watch. That's not like our watch. Because he sees the beginning from the end, and he says this sickness will not end in death. Now, does anybody, or do we have any Princess Bride fans in the room? Any Princess Bride fans? Shame on you. <laughs> okay, the more hands aren't up. Okay, you need to go watch this. Yeah, raise them high, Phil, yeah. You need to watch this movie. It's a gospel movie. And the premise of the movie is uh, a grandfather reading a story to a young Fred Savage. Many of you probably don't even know who Fred Savage is. The actor of The Wonder Years, one of the, the great uh, TV shows of all time. So Fred, a young Fred Savage is, is, a, is a young grandson, and his grandfather has a cool hat, and I like cool hats, comes in and he, and he puts his uh, grandson to bed by reading him this story called The Princess Bride, and then the movie, of course, goes into the real story, and it's a real, it's a real adventure story, and there's pirates, and there's bad guys and good guys, and there's you know giant rodents and quicksand, and if this isn't making you want to go watch it, then I don't know what's wrong with you. So you've got to go watch it. And there's death. And there's resurrection. And what's so, and there's this one line, if you know the movie, you remember it. As it's going, and sort of the protagonist, and, and there's this great love story. Um, the protagonist dies. And the grandson goes, and, and, then, and then the grandfather says, well, that's about all the time we got for tonight and he closes the book and the grandson you know Fred Savage gets out of his bed and says no it can't end like that this can't be the story right this can't be the way it ends and the grandfather said well I guess I'll read a little bit more (laughs) but that tension right there is the tension that we all feel with God that's the tension that we feel in the story that's the tension which we feel in the whole gospel narrative. It can't end like this. This doesn't seem right. What do you mean we can't? What do you mean he's dead? What do you mean? Jesus already told them at the beginning, this sickness will not end in death, but he must die so that the glory of God may be revealed. Jesus knew very particularly in this case, that Lazarus would come back to life. In this moment. And so Lazarus then for us, this is why John says, i got to tell you this story, because maybe you haven't heard this story yet. Lazarus becomes the prototype promise for us all as well. Lazarus saw Jesus' glory and believed in Jesus in life. And so therefore, as one of his sheep, he heard Jesus' voice called to him from the grave, and he walked out living. And the promise then we have is that for each and every one of us who in this life comes to see the glory of God and believe and trust in him, even though we don't understand the fullness of his plan, that one day we will hear the voice of Christ say, come out, and we too will be raised to a new life. But not a new little R, resurrection, but a big R, resurrection, like Jesus' resurrection. And if you read this story closely and you understand this story, it will help you in the in-between. It will help you when it seems like granddad's closing the book and saying, well, that's all the time we got for today. And you go, what? That can't be who God is. That can't be how he does it. And then we open the book back up again. And he says, okay, let me read a little bit more for you. And then we start to see... And I said I'd come back to this word. Remember the word I said to come back to where it says Jesus, it says it two or three times. Jesus was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. That's verse 33. And then verse 38 says, then Jesus was deeply moved again and he came to the tomb. And then he starts yelling. (laughs) You're like, this is strange. What does this word deeply moved mean? The word actually means angry. I think part of why we struggle with this story or the suffering we experience in our own life or the loss of a loved one that we experience is because it seems like God's not angry at our situation. Friends, Jesus is angry at death. He yells at it. He's so angry. Think about how angry he is. That he'll let himself, he'll allow himself to be hung from a cross and humiliated the Son of God hanging on a Roman cross, bleeding until he dies. That's how angry he is. Don't believe the lie that he is not angry at your situation. That he doesn't hate it so much that he'd do anything to take it away from you. But he had to go to the cross first. Otherwise, you'd just keep falling into the same pattern of death. No matter how many times he raised Lazarus. If he didn't go to the cross, Lazarus would just keep dying. He's so angry that he gave his life for you. He's so angry. This act of waiting, this seemingly unnecessary delay, this seemingly unnecessary suffering, this seemingly unnecessary death, all leads to the cross. Or Jesus himself will die. God sent his own son to die. God in his eternal counsel stood and said, it is better for them that I send you to die so that they may believe. It is better for Lazarus that Jesus waited it is better for Mary and Martha that Jesus waited and it's better for you and me that Jesus waited had he not waited we wouldn't know for sure that he is God that he has power over death and in the, great, the greatest of ironies in this story and, and Ryan will probably get into it a little bit more next week is that the reason the disciples, we didn't talk about that, they didn't want him to go, (laughs) because it was so close to Jerusalem, in a a one-for-one correlation, Jesus going, even though he waited, his going to to raise Lazarus, and the great proclamation that that it was that he has power over death, him doing that led one-for-one correlation to his arrest, his torture, his humiliation, and his death. And he chose to do it anyhow. So when you're struggling, when you're suffering, when it feels unnecessary, when you're crying out to God, help me, help my brother, help my sister, help my friend, help my child. When you're crying out to him and and it feels like he's not answering you, remember the cross. It felt to, to Mary and Martha like God wasn't listening, God was listening. God knew exactly what he was doing. God does not forget you. He is not far from you. He is as angry about your suffering as you are. God hates death more than you could ever hate death. Whether it comes early in life or in old age, he hates death more than you could. Remember the cross. This will tell you everything you need to know about this God. This will tell you everything you need to know about love. God raised his own son on a cross high and lifted up so that the world might see who God is and the depths of his love for humanity. See him. See his glory. See his love. And believe in him. Let's pray.